Well, it's my distinct uh, privilege and pleasure this morning to introduce a great friend of mine who I've known for too many decades. And uh, Rabbi Dr. Stuart Dowerman, I'll read off the book jacket, is Director of Interfaithfulness, specialized in developing new paradigms and tools to assist those navigating the intersection of the Christian and Jewish world. A special attention to the intermarried. Having participated in both the missions and congregational world, he now engages in planting of uh, a network of Havarot, in effect, house churches for Jews and intermarried. Stuart is much more than that simple paragraph. He's been a mentor, a friend, uh, a teacher. And uh, one thing I can guarantee you this afternoon, you will learn something you do not know. So this is a great privilege for all of us, a rare and great gift. And I want to welcome Dr. Stuart Dowerman. Joshua, could you uh, lower some lights over here so that people can see the screens more clearly because they're going to be important? Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I want to read you something that... Uh, I got it. I want to read you something from Facebook that I responded to the other day. The guy was... We were talking about the Jewish people and a fellow who's... Uh, a Christian, I don't know if he's a, a seminarian or a young pastor, he said that God is judging the Jewish people for their wickedness. I protested. I won't read you my protest, but I protested. Uh, I said something like this. I'll just give you the beginning of it. He said, I don't know whether your comment about Israel's wickedness was said in jest, but I'm reminded of something that I experienced at Fuller Seminary, and I talked about some of the anti-Semitism I encountered that was very ingrained in Christian rhetoric. And then he said back to me, I think Jesus was pretty clear multiple times about the whore that was and still is to a large degree Jerusalem. I do agree that the people of Israel, not political Israel, will be grafted back into the true vine that is Christ. So what do you think of stuff like that? I wrote to my friend on whose page this was, and I said, I'm glad this guy doesn't live near me because I would like to strangle him. Uh, we're living in a day when our people Israel, when the Jewish people are, are, are being abandoned and, uh, and uh, attacked. And uh, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And in today's Haftarah, we read, For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not hold my peace. And so what I want to do today is I want to recruit you all to be part of the solution to the problem of the disgraceful, negative, harmful and toxic rhetoric that is becoming very prevalent about the Jewish people. And 
What I would say is that it's very easy for us to think that the problem is all the way out there. It's these people out there on the fringes, lunatic fringe, uh, for example, that are saying these things. But I want to show you how even in our own circles, we have been accustomed to speak about the Jewish people in ways that are not helpful. And uh, I hope that uh, as a result of what we share together today, that all of us uh, will um, be uh, focused and committed to, uh, to fulfilling what our Haftorah says, for Zion's sake, to not be silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, not to hold our peace. And so I ask you, Father, that your spirit would, would descend upon us and rest upon us, giving us uh, open hearts, understanding minds, eager spirits. I pray your spirit would both descend and well up within us, that we might not just be entertained or uh, that we not just hear something interesting, but that our experience together would be transformational. I ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, let's see if we're going to make any uh, progress. Oh, we did make some progress here. This is, let's back up a little bit here. There we are. No, back up. There you are. Let's begin here. I'm going to talk a little bit about feet today. There's another passage from Isaiah. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Are you on? It's green. It's on. Okay. Um, there's a, we're going to be looking at feet a little bit today. There's a pair of feet. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who publish peace, who to say to Zion, your God reigns. We're supposed to be people with beautiful feet. We're supposed to be people who bring the peace of Messiah to the Jewish people. My, uh, you know, this synagogue plays host to a couple of churches, I understand. And my synagogue used to be next door to Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Beverly Hills. And the pastor of that church was interested in the Jewish people. But I did not consider that Mount Calvary Lutheran Church was especially responsible to reach the Jews of Beverly Hills. I believed that we as a Messianic synagogue were especially responsible to reach the Jews of Beverly Hills. And uh, I would tell you, my friends, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, if you're part of Simchat Yisrael, you have a special calling to uh, be agents of bringing Messiah's peace to the Jewish people in this part of Connecticut. I, uh, I would wish that everyone would do so, but I don't think it's as much their responsibility as it is ours. We're supposed to bring Messiah's peace. But here's the problem. Let's see. Are we doing all right here? Uh, back up. There. Take a look. There's six more feet. The guy in the middle is me. Uh, the guy on the right and the guy on the left. One guy on the right is uh, a guy who has told me, I'm tired of your bloviating. You have no credibility. Just go away. He's a leader in the, in the Jewish believer world. Like if I told you his name, you'd all know who he is. This is a true story. He said, I'm tired of you bloviating. You have no credibility. Just go away. The other guy on the other side of me is a guy who doesn't return my phone calls because he wanted me to take his position on a certain thing, and I didn't do it. So as a result, 
he, he doesn't want to hear from me either. Yes, Lord? Oh, okay. Uh, now, here's my question. This guy on the right who says, uh, I'm tired of it, bloviating, just go away, and the other guy who doesn't return my phone calls. Suppose I have a message of transformation, uh, a very important spiritual message I want to bring to these guys. What's the chances that they're going to give me a good hearing? Not much. Somebody said to me when I, I spoke on this recently, said uh, somewhere between nothing at all and zero. And that's probably true. Because people, if you're making war with people with your mouths, if you're estranged from people, then you cannot really bring peace to them, a message of peace. They're not going to receive it. You understand what I'm saying? Even if the message is true, even if it's crucial, even if it's from God, if our relations with each other are not good, then the chances of our being peace bringers are sharply reduced. My point, in order to be peace bringers, we must be peacemakers. And that means that we need to really profoundly make peace with the Jewish world. Now, I'm taking it for granted, because I know your leadership, that this congregation is healthier than most in the Messianic movement. But I will tell you that in the Messianic movement, there is a lot of peace, a lot of war making, a lot of verbal static that, that impedes our ability to bring peace to the Jewish people. And I want to talk about that today. I want to point it out to you, and I want to recruit you to be part of the solution. So let's see what we have here. Uh, I'm pointed at you here. I'm going to back up. So, to bring peace, oh, come on. To bring peace, you got it? We got to make peace. Let me give me another one. Give me the next. Okay, here's some pictures from the battlefield. You can't see it too close. But on the left-hand side, there's a picture of three people. A woman, a very beautiful woman, a little four-year-old girl in between, and then a man who, if you look close, looks very much like me. The woman is my f mother. The little girl is my sister, who's going to be 80 years old on her next birthday. So this picture is from 76 years ago. This is about 1941. And uh, that's my father. My father in this picture, 1941. So he's about 37 years old in that picture. Okay, on the, on the right-hand side is a picture of a very orthodox Jewish man who also, if you look at him, will look significantly like me. That's my grandfather. That's Yitzchak Dowerman. My grandfather was from a town called uh, Yavorov, which is now just over the Ukrainian border from the Polish side. It was Austria-Hungary when he came to America in 1909. And he was a, uh, a genuinely orthodox Jew, very, uh, very, very observant. In America, he was the shamash, uh, which means the kind of the master of ceremonies, the guy who ran the whole event in a Hasidic synagogue in Borough Park. And he trained a lot of men to be rabbis. He was not a rabbi himself, but he knew it all, and he had a first-class mind, and he trained other people to be rabbis. Well, 
When my mother married my father, my mother uh, was from a nice Sicilian family. Her name was Maria Donato. And uh, my father's family was not exactly thrilled. She went through an Orthodox conversion in the 1930s, Orthodox Jewish conversion. But that wasn't exactly enough. Here's another picture. Back up. This, is, uh, this picture is September 2nd, 1979. We've just buried my father. I'm sitting in the back of this hearse with my mother. And my mother at that point said something to me she never dared say while my father was alive. She said, I never felt accepted by his family. So I asked my cousin David, who was, uh, he's the world's premier expert on contemporary Jewish Bible scholarship. He's a world-class scholar. I asked my cousin David, is it true? Because he, David was my father's sister's son, and my father's mother, my grandmother, David's grandmother, he lived with her. And I said, and lived with Yitzchak, who died uh, when he was quite young. I said, is it true that they never accepted my mother? He said, oh yeah, we refer to her as your father's narishkeit. Narishkeit means foolishness. My mother was my father's foolishness. Now, I never saw that out front during my years. I was 37 when my father died. In those 37 years, I never saw it out front. And my mother was in the first stages of Alzheimer's disease when she told me that. But even in the first stages of Alzheimer's disease, my mother knew that his family did not really accept her. So my question for us is this. When we, in our circles, say negative things about the Jewish people, now you may say, when do we say negative things about the Jewish people? Have you ever heard the expression, the religion of the rabbis? Anybody ever heard that expression? It's commonly used in our circles. It's not a nice term. It, it says that Judaism is really the invention of the rabbis, and we want to not get too carried away with that. When we say things like that about the Jewish community, do you think they don't know what is said in our circles about the Jewish people, about the Jewish religion? Um, you don't want to be in bondage to the law. Uh, uh, you don't want to do all that commandment keeping. Stuff like that. You think they don't know? Of course they know, just like my mother knew. So let's go on. Here is our converging destiny. Back up. Back up. There we are. That's our converging destiny. That's another set of feet. Those are the nail-pierced pieced, nail feet of Yeshua, our Messiah. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Messiah, that we will give an account of ourselves for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. All of us, all of humankind is going to be there. And when, um, when God speaks to people in a prophetic mode, he always speaks in a mixture of reassurance and rebuke, of commendation and correction. So I believe in that day that he's going to say to the Jewish world, I commend you for this, I commend you for this, I commend you for this. For this, I don't commend you. Correct? You got me? And to us, and to the Christian world, and to the Messianic Jewish world, 
he'll say, I commend you for this, I commend you for this, I commend you for this, but for this I don't. And I think that we're all destined to be both commended and corrected in the presence of God. Therefore, I would say that since we are destined to be commended and corrected in the presence of God and of one another, it should result in a certain humility now. And I'll talk more about that later. Because uh, Paul the Apostle says, we see through a glass darkly. We know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't know it all. Even some of the things we think we know, we don't have right. So since we only know in part, since we only prophesy in part, and since we're not as smart as we think we are, we should have a, a little bit of humility. We should assume that the Jewish community may have something to say that we need to hear. They should assume that we have something to say that they need to hear. We all should assume that God has something to say to us through one another that needs to be heard. You understand? That's my converging destinies approach. Let's go on. This is Dan Shaw. Dan Shaw is one of the uh, men on my, the three men on my PhD committee. Dan Shaw is, uh, apart from certain members of my family, the brightest person I've ever met. He is, uh, he lives about a quarter of a mile, maybe a half a mile from me. He went, he's got a PhD from the University of Papua New Guinea in uh, uh, anthropology. He spent uh, about a dozen years in Papua New Guinea, actually in New Guinea, with his Jewish wife and their children working amongst the Samo tribes people. Here's the Samo tribes people. Next one. This is the Samo. The Samo had recently been pacified from cannibalism. The government had just recently persuaded them that they should stop eating their enemies. And that's when Dan and his Jewish wife moved in in their midst and spent 12 years there. Now Dan told me that, now he, he was a man who was raised by a missionary father, raised on a mission field. His father was a Presbyterian, very straight-laced. But Dan told me everything, some of the most important things that I've learned in life, about life, I learned from these people. He said, I even learned things about their concept of God, from their concept of God. I learned some of the most important things I learned about God from them. Now you'll say, what? You need to realize that these people are made in the image of God, even though they had been involved in cannibalism. When the Holy Spirit spoke to them, when the Holy Spirit worked in their midst, uh, uh, being in the image of God, they had things to say that he needed to hear. Now here's my question. If this fine, upstanding Wycliffe Bible translator, conservative Baptist, son of a Presbyterian minister, uh, um, missionary, professor of anthropology and Bible translation at Fuller Seminary, if he could say that he could learn about God from former, head, former cannibals, shouldn't we be able to say that we can learn something about God from the Jewish world? People who have been honoring the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for 3,000 years? Yes, we, could, we should. And like I said, you're a better than average Messianic congregation, and you get it. But there are people out there in our movement 
who get very nervous when you talk that way. I showed this list to Dan. Back up. Uh, here is a summary of how, in some circles in the Messianic Jewish and missions world, um, uh, the mainstream Jewish community is considered. The rabbis are bogus. Judaism is a false religion. And Yeshua is the leader of the opposition to the religion of the rabbis. That's pretty stark, but it's not utterly, it's not utterly false. I showed it to Dan. He said, who says this? I said, some Messianic Jews and, and, and missionaries to the Jews, he was scandalized. You, we should be scandalized, too. Here's some quotes. This, these are actual quotes. I won't tell you the names of the people who said these things, but let's just look at them. When I talk about being a Jew, I'm talking about something that is different from the religion of the rabbis. I'll be quick to tell you that I do not follow the Jewish religion. You might be surprised that the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, does not mention rabbis. According to the scripture, the priesthood was to be in charge. So this quote from a very famous Jewish believer is meant to say that the rabbis are totally bogus. The Bible doesn't mention, doesn't give power to the rabbis. And I don't even, he says, I don't even practice the religion of the rabbis because that's not really from God. Now, you may believe that. I am not telling you what to believe. I'm just saying that when we talk this way about the Jewish world, What's the chances they're going to want to hear about our Jesus? What's the chance? I'm going to take my talus off. It keeps falling off of my broad shoulders. What is the chance that the Jewish world is going to want to hear about our Yeshua when they know that we say, well, I don't practice religion of rabbis. The rabbis, really, God, the Bible doesn't even talk about the rabbis. I don't practice Jewish religion. That's a quote from a very famous Jewish believer whose name you all know. Here's another one. Uh-huh. Uh Unfortunately, most rabbis have accepted the role of an apologist for Judaism rather than a spiritual authority who can aid in or inspire a true encounter with God. I shared this with some, some people recently, and a man said, well, it's true. I said, no, it can't be true. I'll tell you why this statement can't be true. It says, most rabbis have accepted the role of apologist for Judaism rather than a spiritual authority who can aid in or inspire a true encounter with God. Does this guy know most rabbis? No. It's like somebody saying, most ministers are anti-Semites. Now, there are people who are going to be prepared to say that, but that's an equally useless statement because you, you can't prove something like that. The only purpose of a statement like this is to show disrespect for the rabbis. Now, you may believe this. I'm not telling you what to believe, but I'm saying that when we talk this way about the Jewish world behind their backs, they, they know, and they're not interested in hearing what we have to say. And the problem is, God has given to us the responsibility to be messengers of peace.
to the Jewish world. And they won't hear our message of peace when we are making war with them with the words of our mouths. Do we understand each other? Let's go to another one. Oh, here's a beauty. Let me state clearly that the very best rabbinic traditions are still man-made. If we are going to worship and serve God in the spirit, flesh-born traditions can only get in the way. That's a quote from a very famous person whose, names, whose name you all know. Now, I want you to see what it's saying. It's saying that Judaism is all man-made traditions. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any traditions? Were they made by chipmunks? Uh, you meet at 10.45 in the morning. That's your tradition. Did that come down from Mount Sinai? Huh? Uh, that's a tradition. Uh, this is a, such a nasty statement. But it's a statement that says that Judaism is basically just a worthless man-made religion. And not only is it no good, but it can only get in the way of having a real spiritual relationship with God. Now, you may believe that, although I'd be surprised if you did attending this congregation. But realize that, when, that the Jewish community is many things, but they're not stupid. And they know that we say these kinds of things behind their back. And I want you to know, it's a sin. It's a grievous sin because it undermines our ability to do what God expects us to do. When we get to the nail-pierced feet of Yeshua, and he says to us, what did you do to help the Jewish community trust me and love me? Do you want to be one of the people who says, well, we told them how wrong they were. We told them how they were wrong about this and they were wrong about that. Is that what you want to say? Is that what I want to say? No, it's not. So let's go on. So here's the solution. Are we going? I want to use the word lasers. First, yeah, there it is. You know, go back. Keep going, Joshua. No, no, no. Go forward. Thank you. There we are. The first... No, stop, stop, stop. The first letter of lasers is L. We need to listen and learn. When we talk to the Jewish world, I want you to... I want, uh, you just had a death in your congregation, and I'm very sorry for that. But I want you to imagine that a man has six children. And uh, you're one of those children. When you're 17 years old, your father is killed in a plane crash. And uh, I say to you, well, how does your sister feel about your father's death? He says, well, I know how she feels because he was my father too. No, not true. Each one of you feels the loss differently. You know, each one feels the loss differently. And some of you will say, I know what the Jewish community thinks about Yeshua. I know about the whole anti-Semitism thing. I know the whole thing. No, you don't. You don't know how that Jewish person feels about Yeshua, about Yeshua faith about anti-Semitism. We need to learn to listen and learn. We need to give people the dignity of telling us how they feel. Listen and learn. Next letter, lasers, L-A. Affirm and acknowledge. We need to affirm and acknowledge. When they say something that is not complimentary, but they are right, we need to say, you're right. 
we need to affirm and acknowledge where the criticisms are well-deserved. Next, S. We need to speak respectfully in our circles. And I think, I'm, I'm sure, knowing Merrill, knowing Tony, knowing this congregation, I'm sure that in here you don't get away with talking disrespectfully about the Jewish world. We need to learn to speak respectfully always about the Jewish world. These are people who, for generations, including people like my grandfather, gave their lives, gave their blood. My father and my, father and my grandfather and my grandmother came from a village called Yavorov. In, as I say, it was in Austria-Hungary. About 30 years after my family came to America, uh, the, the 3,000 Jews in Yavorov were all wiped out were all wiped out. There were only 12 left out of 3,000. How those 12 escaped, I don't know. But they were wiped out by their neighbors, by the Ukrainian neighbors. They didn't need Nazi bullets to kill them. The Ukrainians were happy to kill them anyway. These religious Jews lived under that kind of anti-Semitism for countless generations, honoring the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as best they understood, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We should talk about these people with profound gratitude and respect. We need to speak respectfully, and also we need to make sure that other people speak respectfully, especially I'm thinking about the Messianic Jewish world. And believe me, if you start turning up your ears and listening, you're going to hear a lot of negativity because it's just habitual with us, and we need to cut it out. I don't care if you believe it's true but realize that that kind of rhetoric makes us incapable of bringing a message of peace to the Jewish world. L-A-S-E. Earning trust. Trust is earned. The Messianic Jewish movement, this congregation, my congregation, every congregation, every organization, we need to earn the reputation that the Jewish community knows that we've got their back. That when they're not, that when they're not around, we stand up for them. We stand up against anti-Semitism. We stand up against anti-Zionism. We stand up for the Jewish people, always. They need to know that we've got their back and that they can trust us. Because in my father's generation, people believed that if you take the average Christian and scratch a little bit, underneath you'll find an anti-Semite. And especially of Jews who come to believe in Jesus, they're obviously people who never valued their Jewish life, and you can't trust them at all. We have to show that it's just not true. L-A-S-E-R. Reflect and relate the good news of Yeshua. We should be people who are filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to resemble the local television evangelist. Who are you going to resemble if you're truly filled with the Spirit? Yeshua. We need to be people who embody his character, his love, his truthfulness, his nature, everything about him, his faith in his Father. We need to reflect and relate the good news of Yeshua. It's not enough to be Mr. or Miss Nice Guy or Nice Girl. It's not, it's not enough to stand up for the Jewish people. It's not enough to say the right things. You also need to talk about Yeshua. We need, but we need to do it on the platform of all of this prior work on building relational 
trust and relational respect. L-A-S-E-R-S. -S. By doing these things, we will speed the consummation. Because when all Israel enters into the fullness, the Bible says that it's party time for the whole cosmos. If their hardening meant the reconciliation of the world and their stumbling brought salvation to the Gentiles, what will their fullness bring but life from the dead? We will have the privilege of expediting that if and as we do the job of reaching the Jewish world. And you can't do it alone. But I'm asking us all, each of us, to be a little point of light, to be a catalyst in our circles, to be people who make sure the right things are said, the right attitudes are, are, are nurtured, to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Let's see what else we got up there. Oh. Here's Yassel and Mordecai. These are two Jews who come from my father's neck of the woods. Yassel is on the left, Mordecai is on the right. They live next uh, on plots of land right next to each other. One day, Yassel is looking out, and he sees Mordecai carrying a calf, and Yassel says, that's my calf. He says, no, it's not your calf. He says, don't tell me it's not my calf. It's my calf. What are you doing with my calf? Mordecai says, it's not your calf, it's my calf. They have a big fight. Finally, the, the, they become so estranged, they stop talking to one another, they stop praying together in the wooden shul in their stadel. And one day, Yossel comes out, and he sees that Mordecai has built a moat, a trench, filled with water between their, 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 their properties, just to say, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. Well, Yossel is totally insulted. And just about that time, another Jew comes to town who turns out to be a uh, carpenter. And Yossel says to him, uh, you're a carpenter, right? He says, yes. He says, can you make just about anything? He says, yes. He says, okay, I want you to build a wall between me and my neighbor. He's built this moat, and I'm very insulted. He tells him the whole story. And the carpenter says, look, I think I can, I think I can solve your problem. So Yossel says, I'm going out of town. I'm going to Krakow for five days. When I come back, I want that built. He says, I'll take care of things. Well, he goes away. Five days later, he comes back in his horse-drawn wagon. And as he comes over the rise, looking at his property, he sees that the carpenter has not built a wall. He has built a bridge. He's not happy. He pulls up to the property, jumps off of the wagon, runs up to the, ca the carpenter, and he's yelling at him, what have you done? What have you, you know, I told you to build a wall, you built a bridge. And then he looks, and there's Morcha. Morcha is coming over the bridge, carrying a calf. And Morcha says, you know, Yassel, you're a better man than I am. I built a moat, but you built a bridge. Take the calf. The calf is yours. And maybe tonight we can pray together. And that's what happened. Now, what's the lesson? Next slide, please, Joshua. We build too many walls and not enough bridges. We need to build all the bridges we can with the Jewish world. Even if uh, we're not sure the Jewish world will respond positively to our initiatives, we need to be bridge builders. 
and not wall builders. Next slide, please. Paul reminds us, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do what you can. We must do what we can. I can't guarantee you how the Jewish community is going to respond. But we can only do what we can. Aim for restoration. This is all quotes from Paul. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Next slide. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, upbuilding. Hillel put it this way. Be of the disciples of Aaron, loving peace and pursuing peace. Yaakov, James, reminds us, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Yeshua says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. For now we see in a mirror dimly, we know in part, and we, prosper, we prophesy in part, but then we should know fully when we see him face to face. Go on. This is our converging destiny. In view of that converging destiny, let's be making peace with the Jewish world. Let's be bringing peace to the Jewish world. Let's be part of the solution, not just here in Connecticut, but touching lives wherever we go, that we, that we might pass the peace to someone else and they might take the peace to their environs. Next. Meanwhile, we need to have a relationship with the Jewish world that's characterized by humility, by vulnerability. We need to be prepared to have the Jewish world tell us things we don't want to hear. We need to be vulnerable. Next. We need to expect that God might speak into that moment. He might speak to all of us. Go on. And we need to be faithful. Next slide. Aim for this. Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared Adonai spoke together, and Adonai listened and heard. A record book was written in his presence for those who feared Adonai and had respect for his name. The Jewish world fears Adonai, has respect for his name. We fear Adonai, have respect for his name. Christians Fear Adonai, have respect for his name. We should meet together in peace. And God values that very much. We need to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. We need to change our perspectives in order to change the world. We need to stop pigeonholing people. Pigeonholes are not for doves. And in fact, pigeonholes stink. So let's stop pigeonholing the Jewish world. And let's be doves. Next. My next book, you want to know what my next book is going to be? Show me the way to go home. I'm going to be talking about house groups. But one more slide. Next one. This is what I do, interfaithfulness. Because intimate friends should not be strangers. I'm trying to build bridges between Christians and Jews in Yeshua's name 
so that Christians can learn about the more Jewish Jesus and so the Jews can learn about the more Jewish Jesus and that together we can learn about him who is himself our peace. If you want to um, receive a, a newsletter from me, come up and see me. I'll give you a business card. Just write me a note, and I'll see that you get it. Write me a, a note on the Internet, and I'll see you get our e-letter, which is called Signals. But for now, I hope you got the signals of what I was sending. This is longer than your average message, but I hope it was worth your while. Thank you very much. <laughs>